You tuned in to the Coach Onamdi show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. Later in the broadcast, we hear from entomologist Mike Ropp, the bug guy, about what to expect from the return of a massive brood of cicadas. But first, the district has a strong bond with cherry blossoms, usually around this time of year, the tidal basin is filled with tourists and natives taking photos of the blooming flowers. Of course, like almost everything this year, due to the pandemic, the festival has moved online. Today we're talking about the history of those cherry trees and the district's relationship with the flowers and where you might be able to see some blooms without the crowds. Joining the show today is Matthew Barker. He is city arborist for Laguna Beach, former city arborist for Alexandria. Matthew Barker, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Kojo, for having me. It's an honor to be here. And Frank Feltons is an assistant curator of Japanese art at the Freer Gallery of Art and the Arthur M. Sackler Gallery. Frank Feltons, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Koto. It's great to be here. You too can join the conversation. Have any questions or comments for us? The number is 800-433-8850. What are some of your favorite places to find cherry blossoms? 800-433-8850. You can send us a tweet at Kojo Show or email to kojo at wamu.org. You can also go to our website, kojoshow.org, and join the conversation there. Frank Feltons, before we start talking about cherry blossoms, how has the gallery been faring during this pandemic? Um, I think we we all uh, can agree that our lives really fundamentally changed. And I think all, all of my colleagues, me included, would love to be back at the museum and look at art pieces in person. But uh, since that is not possible, I think uh, what we did at the museum is we really, um, you know, went above and beyond in our efforts among all the staff, the entire, all my colleagues, everybody included to create an incredibly you know, robust online program for the museum covering all areas and bringing in not just curators, but staff staff from all uh, backgrounds and from all departments in the museum. So this is, uh, I think, a, a great experience that we take away from the pandemic, a positive side of uh, being closed for such a long time. It's always and There's always a silver lining. Can you provide some specifics about how you've been keeping people engaged? What kinds of programs? So, I mean, we, we, are, we have created a, um, a number of very popular meditation programs, for example. Um, so we have weekly meditations, and on Fridays we use artworks uh, as a, a source of reference, as a focal point for these meditation sessions. We also created um, um, a, ser- a series called Objects We Love, where uh, staff members, curators, conservators, archivists, and others speak about their favorite works. So all in all, uh, including also live programs, we have um, really our website and our YouTube channel is full of wonderful offerings. 800-433-8850 is the number. Do the region's cherry blossoms hold any special significance for you? Tell us, 800-433-8850. Matthew Barker, what do you say when people refer to cherry blossom trees? Well, uh, Kojo, thank you for that's a great question. So there's uh, two main types of cherry blossom trees, but they're both the same species. So they're, uh, the Yoshino and the Kwanzan cherries are the two most celebrated cherry blossoms trees in the district. And that's a little bit of a misnomer because it's really <laughs> celebrating the, the flowers as a blossom. But really, most trees that we interact with on a daily basis do have a blossom. So even oak trees, while not very conspicuous and showy of a display, is the uh, cherry 
cherry trees uh, uh, that we celebrate so highly in the district um, do have blossoms themselves. So um, the two main types of cherry trees that we celebrate, the Yoshino and the Kwanzan cherries, are both the same species but two distinct cultivars. They're both uh, Prunus cerulata cherry trees and uh, uh, the Yoshino being a distinct cultivar bred for its slightly almond scented white flowers and the Kwanzan trees are a distinct cultivar having a hardier fleshier truer pink flower um, that has a little bit more rose scented Frank Felton's these distinctive cherry trees around the tidal basin are so associated with the district that they are often portrayed on postcards and T-shirts and are as much a symbol of D.C. as the Washington Monument, but they are, in fact, not native. Frank, what's the history of cherry blossoms in the district? Right. I mean, the cherry trees do come from Japan, and in 1912, uh, um, the Japanese government, as a matter, a matter of fact, facilitated through the mayor of Tokyo, gifted... Uh, around 3,000 cherry trees to the city of Washington and by extension to the United States as a gesture of bilateral understanding and collaboration. And um, I think uh, with that uh, act, really, I mean, uh, the, these, this cultural symbol of Japan made its home in Washington and really is a perpetual reminder of the friendship between the U.S. and Japan and also of a wonderful landmark of D.C., what is the significance of the cherry blossom within Japanese culture? The cherry blossoms, can, uh, they are significant in Japanese culture, cannot be overstated. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint a very earliest source, but uh, the blossoms are already appearing in an 8th century uh, poetic anthology called the Manyoshu, and then from the 16th century onward, what is uh, from the late 16th century, what is Japan's early modern age? Picnicking became popular, sort of amongst all classes of society, uh, gazing upon uh, the cherry trees and really enjoying yourself under them. And um, simply because we can't do this at this time and in our uh, secluded lives in the pandemic, uh, what we are trying to do at the museum in this re- season is bring the cherry blossoms to people's homes through an online portal on our website. Tell us, tell us a little more about how the cherry blossom season is celebrated in Japan. In Japan, I think what uh, if, of course, in, in, in non-pandemic times, what you would do nowadays, you would go to the 100 yen store or to the dollar store, get yourself a blue tarp, put it out under a scenic spot underneath the cherry, uh, cherry trees and uh, have your friends join you, drink, uh, uh, enjoy the beauty of the blossoms, enjoy each other's company. That is the type of uh, thing that people would do. 800 is the number to call if you'd like to join the conversation. How are you planning to celebrate the Cherry Blossom Festival this year? Has the pandemic changed how you plan to see the cherry blossoms? 800-433-8850. Here's Catherine in Washington, D.C. Catherine, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. I'm so honored to be on your show today. Um, I'm with the Trust for the National Mall, and we're just, this is such a, memorable and a, a great feeling time as spring starts to arrive. You know, start, official spring is on the 20th. And so we're partners with the National Cherry Blossom Festival around our uh, annual bloom cam. So what's really special this year is just we're continuing as we're continuing with, you know, reducing people from coming down to discouraging people from coming down to the cherry blossom. People can view the blossoms live 24 uh, seven through bloom cam. So you can, 
You can view the blooms at uh, the Trust for the National Malls website, which is nationalmall.org backslash bloomcam. You can also check out Bloom Watch on the Cherry Blossom Festival. And you can also learn on our website about um, how the National Park Service arborists are taking care of the trees year-round to make sure that they're beautiful every single year. So I just was excited that you were doing this segment <laughs> and wanted to share with your listeners that there are opportunities to view the camera year-round, and they will be live again on Thursday. We're excited that you shared that with us, Catherine. Thank you for your call. You too can call us at 800-433-8850 if you have a question or comment about the cherry blossoms. Frank Felton's, we can't have the usual cherry blossom festival this year, of course, because it involves crowds. Can you tell us about the series of alternative events and activities the Freer Gallery will be holding? Yes, of course, sure. I mean, we're very mindful of everybody's safety and really want to discourage people to... Uh, congregate on the on the National Mall, and so an alter- as an alternative, we created this uh, online portal, a cherry blossom themed, on our website asia.si.edu, which is really a one-stop shop kind of venue where you have offerings from a gallery tour of our current Hoxai exhibition, Hoxai known for the Great Wave. Everybody probably knows that print but also uh, um, customized um, tours by our wonderful docents, uh, live tours that take you through uh, cherry blossom-themed works in our collection, which is really a unique opportunity. And in addition to that, we have all kinds of other um, uh, programs on um, this portal, such as our Objects We Love series, where some highlight objects are being uh, discussed by our staff, but also... uh, links to meditation sessions and others. So I really just encourage everybody to log on. Tell us about some of the things the docents will be showing us. Can you tell us uh, about some of the cherry blossom-themed art the Fleer Gallery is showing? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And of course, I'm never growing tired of talking about paintings, <laughs> especially Japanese. Uh, and in this case, uh, just to get back to the name Hokusai, we have a wonderful pair of folding screens, sort of large format works that depict a cherry blossom picnic. And I especially love that work because on one screen, uh, on the right side, you have this uh, quaint gathering of ladies and gentlemen, sort of uh, very refined, drinking sake and behaving themselves. And on the left uh, side of the screen, underneath another pair of cherry blossoms, you have the raucous crowd that's already... Uh, very much uh, into the liquor, so to speak, and uh, is dancing around. So uh, this is a nice interplay. Um, Matthew Bork, I want to talk about the flowers themselves. What is the blooming process like? That's a great question, Kojo. So the blooming process is really distinct to either the Yoshino cultivar or the Kwanzaa cultivar. The, uh, uh, The Yoshino um, variety have a much more uh, delicate um, uh, delicate bloom they, they last for a shorter while and you know a little bit of a, a light rain or even a light wind will will send the blooms off of the cherry trees and they, they bloom a lot earlier in uh, uh, about late March very early April and for just that short time um, they're kind of the harbinger of spring to come versus the Kwanzaa trees like I said have a hardier fleshier uh, pink flower and they bloom much later in mid to late April and uh, they stick around for a, a little bit longer and you know they're really responsible for a lot of the uh, um, the artwork that Mr. Felton's was talking about where you see just sort of these r- this rain of pink 
soft petals, um, you know, being captured by people enjoying them underneath the um, underneath their their vase like or their umbrella shaped canopy. So um, that's how they're distinct. In the minute or so we have left in this segment, has climate change had an effect on DC's cherry blossoms? Oh, they certainly have, um, and that's something that's becoming ever more increasingly present in people's day-to-day lives. And it's, when it touches something so culturally distinct, like the Cherry Blossom Festival, um, you're you're going to see that more and more. The blooms are going to be sort of tricked into coming out earlier because they take their cues from the environment around them. So if you get these warm spells early in the year, February or March, they can be environmentally tricked into coming out and then maybe get hit with a late frost, a late snowstorm, which can really damage the festival and the the optics of the trees. Got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. If you have calls, stay on the line. If you'd like to call, it's 800-433-8850. How are you planning to celebrate the Cherub Blossom Festival this year? I'm Kojo Namdi. It's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Welcome back to this conversation about DC's cherry blossoms. We're talking with Frank Felton's assistant curator of Japanese art at the Freer Gallery of Art and the Arthur M. Sackler Gallery, and Matthew Barker, city arborist for Laguna Beach, former city arborist of Alexandria. Matthew Barker, are there long-term effects on the region's cherry blossoms from climate change? Um, that's a great question. So these trees are very widely adaptable to a, a number of climate conditions. And I certainly wouldn't be worried in the, the near term about the effects of climate change on the trees of, of um, you know, ability to withstand uh, climate conditions. Certainly, like I said, that the um, year-to-year display of the blooms can be damaged or um, disrupted by climate change um, as we continue to see those um, unpredictable climate patterns, but um, you know, I wouldn't be worried about their long-term ability to at least uh, you know adapt to climate conditions. Here is Philip in Silver Spring, Maryland. Philip, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah, a couple related questions. How much is done um, in terms of fertilizing, aerating, uh, mitigating, trampling of the roots uh, to the trees annually? Matthew Barker. Well, um, I, at my time in that I worked in the D.C. area uh, for the city of Alexandria and also for the architect of the Capitol, Capitol Grounds as an arborist, I never worked uh, for the trees in the National Park Service. But um, those the root system of these trees, the root systems of these trees certainly undergo undergo a high degree of compaction, which really isn't uh, favorable for any tree species. To, um, but I know that the arborists at the National Park Service do a tremendous job. We've partnered with them before, um, and they do a tremendous job taking care of these trees and, and closely monitoring their health. 
and providing treatment through um, you know, plant health care, pruning, and then removal and replacement when necessary. But I don't believe that they do a whole lot of fertilizing. Um, you know, our, our, the soil type in our area, um, clay, primarily clay, is the most nutrient-dense of all soil types. It's primary um, uh, deficiency is compaction because the soil particles are so small, but nutrient deficiency certainly is not a problem in our area. Thank you very much for your call, Philip. Now on to Raymond in Silver Spring. Raymond, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thanks for having me, Kojo. Uh, my question is about uh, everybody trying, well, mostly kids, trying to like climb on the trees and how that really af- affects their perennial bloom. Uh, I know that everybody likes to get the best Instagram photo that they can by pulling the branch down towards them or even taking off a small branch with some flowers on it. Uh, could you uh, explain how that really like affects their... Uh, future bloom cycle. Well, allow me to add Karen's email to that. Karen says, as a longtime D.C. area resident, I adore the beauty and significance of the iconic blooms. However, I have avoided the city the past few years as throngs of tourists descend and oftentimes are so disrespectful of the trees, picking blossoms to wear in their hair, tearing branches to carry around, and climbing the trees to take photos. Then they leave, expecting the trees to be there year after year, never considering the damage imparted to the trees. I know longer venture into town, preferring to find the numerous trees in other parts of the world. We need a conservation corps to remind visitors of their responsibility to respect these treasures. Matthew Barker, what do you say to that? Well, that's a very serious concern. Um, you know, certainly uh, uh, only trained arborists should be climbing into the crowns of these trees. But, um, you know, uh, when you have uh, um, hordes of people coming in and, you know, taking branches off or flowers off that certainly does do uh, uh, some measure of damage to the trees. You know, I'm reminded of the leave no trace principle where you um, take nothing but photographs and leave nothing but footprints. Um, That's something I think we could certainly uh, um, uh, all take a lesson for when we visit um, not only natural areas, but also places of natural beauty. Here now is Liz in Annandale, Virginia. Liz, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you. Um, I wanted to make people aware of the Petal Porch Parade, where people throughout the metro area are decorating their front yards in honor of the Cherry Blossom Festival. And instead of having the regular parade, people can drive through and look at the sort of tributes to the festival. I'm going to be doing something here in Annandale, uh, basically the... um, Hairs Hoot Nanny, so if you want to come and see Hairs with Banjos, that's where to do it. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that with us, Lil. Um, Frank Feltons, why did you choose to hold the exhibit on cherry blossoms? Um, we uh, decided to do this uh, simply, uh, simply to uh, create an alternative for people to go outside and, you know, to uh, go onto the mall and see the, uh, see the ter- uh, trees in person and uh, endanger themselves and others. And I think also, I mean, uh, in Japanese culture, because uh, cherry trees have such a long-standing history in painting, uh, prints, and other artworks, that there has always been sort of this mediated experience uh, that was part of experiencing the cherry blossoms. I mean, you don't just go outside in the spring to see them, but you bring them to your home. So in that sense, I mean, this online portal that we created or this digital experience um, is is not all that different from how um, artwork sort of brought cherry blossoms to people's homes, really. Ken emails, I grew up around fruit trees and blossoms were always followed by fruit. Why don't we get a lot of cherries, Matthew Barker? (laughs) 
Well, uh, that's a great question. So uh, these two specific cultivars, the Yoshino and the Kwanzan, like other ornamental flowering trees that we plant in our landscapes, while they do produce a fruit, they're not so much bred for, selectively bred over generations for producing the best tasting, the largest fruit that we can eat. That sort of uh, thing is is left to more, um, uh, to uh, uh, you know, commercial farms usually. You can buy fruit trees that are selectively bred that you can plant in your landscape, but um, they don't produce the same dramatic showy display that these trees have been selectively bred for. So like much like a crab apple tree, uh, which puts on a, a very nice spring display is, is a different cultivar of the, uh, the malice genus than the fruiting apple tree. And much like the fruiting pear and people might be familiar, unfortunately with the flowering Bradford pears in our area. Here now is Sylvie in Annapolis, Maryland. Sylvie, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, Kojo. Thanks for having me. Um, I seem to recall back in sometime near 85, 1985, something happened to the cherry trees where they all got sick and they were in danger of dying out. I'd like to know what happened to them and what was, when, what did you, what was, what was the mitigating factor to, uh, to uh, solve that problem? Matthew Barker, do you know? Um, that is something that I haven't heard about before, certainly um, quite a while ago. But, you know, all sorts of trees uh, are under threat constantly by either invasive pests that come over from different parts of the world or, um, you know, a surge in uh, maybe a, a fungal infections. Um, you know, sounds like some trained arborists at the time were able to diagnose and treat these trees and make sure that they were able to carry on and be enjoyed by lots of people. But, um, you know, I'm on a, unsure of the specifics of that uh, caller's uh, question. Here is Diane in Laurel, Maryland. Diane, your turn. Hi, Kojo. I just wanted to um, make a comment that these trees give off, for me anyway, such natural um, serenity and peace whenever you see them. And it's such a wonderful gift, not only to us from the Japanese people, but it makes us want to culturally uh, explore the culture and more of the beauties that they have to offer, which is numerous. Um, but I, I, I'm just so thankful that we have them here and we're able to uh, enjoy them. Thank you very much for your call. Stella emails, what a cheering topic today. Count me in for being a fan of the cherry blossoms. I'd like to know that one of the most important cherry blossom species in our area is the native black cherry and its relatives. Not only is it beautiful, but it provides sustenance to over 400 species of wildlife, including birds, insects, and mammals. The beautiful tuna, the beautiful luna moth, for example, makes its home in our native tree. Um... Cherry trees aren't native to the region, Matthew Barker. Do their presence present any harm to the region's ecology? Stella seems to feel they actually help a lot. Yeah, so um, the recent email that you just read was talking about the, the native hardwood cherry, the Prunus serotina, sometimes called wild cherry or black cherry, forest cherry. That is a native hardwood species and a very important hardwood species to the, the forest and the urban forest. They do flower, just not as dramatic and showy as these uh, um, native to Japanese cultivars okay. that we celebrate so highly. Um, but yeah, so uh, um, they don't present an overall danger to the ecology of our area. They are not native, but there's a difference between a plant or a tree being not native, but also doing measurable harm and becoming invasive. It. 
Got it. Matthew Barker is city arborist for Laguna Beach, former city arborist of Alexandria. Frank Felton's is assistant curator of Japanese art at the Freer Gallery of Art and the Arthur M. Sackler Gallery. Thank you both for joining us. Next up, entomologist Mike Rupp on the return of a massive brood of cicadas. I'm Kojo Nam. Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.